3: Welcome inside the PGP, the permission-granted podcast, everybody. The show about the show, the show within the show. You can get this on normal on the normal Apple podcast feed for the DA Show or Radio.com or Stitcher, Spotify, other places that you can get the DA Show podcast feed. But remember, the PGP also has its own podcast feed as well. So check us out all those places or on our website, CBSportsRadio.com. That's DA On Demand. So, Mraz joins me for side A and yet another mothership in the movies in the books. And what I think we wanted to spill over and discussing is the series of GMs featured in the movie Draft Day, because we really broke down Kevin Costner's role as Sonny Weaver Jr., the GM of the Browns. But we needed three full segments to break down the ridiculousness of the sports in this film we got a little bit into the Seahawks front office which is also a disaster hoodwinked by Sonny at, on draft day but we did not get into the Chiefs the Jaguars in depth or the Bills in depth there was a lot of really terrible front office decision making in this <laughs>
1: there was what you learn is if this is any bit of a microcosm we are wasting our breath trying to figure out how the draft works these next couple of days because these general managers are just lost.
3: Did you think that Allie, played by Jennifer Garner, was a good capologist because she knew immediately the money that they could spend on Bo Callahan if they moved up to number one? She also knew off the back of her hand, Super Bowl twenty three, the Joe Montana comeback wow. against the Bengals. And she also knew David Putney was an important piece of the special teams game, but she also you know, struck me as a very unconfident person a number of times, kind of with that Jennifer Garner look of I'm sad, I'm worried, I'm, I don't know what's going on here, uh, I'm just going to leave the room now.
1: So, there's a couple things that peel back with Jennifer Garner as an employee of the Cleveland Browns that I find a little disturbing when mixing with the personal life. Do I think she's a good capologist? Just sort of a straight-up answer. My answer would be yes, based off she's, she's clearly mentioned she's an Ohio girl, football's in her blood, and she clearly knows the difference. She's prepared draft-wise into where to slot the money. So, I think from strictly that point, it's fine, but... I do have to question, and maybe this just speaks to the dysfunction within the Browns organization. How much do they trust her as said capologist? If again, he needed to know, or, or Sonny Weaver needed to know about, you know, the slotting of the one, but you know, how does that, affect the next couple years when he's already traded away the ones like he didn't even think to call her about cap ramifications on any of this and before even calling back the bills he didn't care to talk to her about the two players he potentially could have gotten and asked her anything about the cap it was just about how he wanted the team his way so it seems to be picky and choosy as to when he throws her a bone when we need her as a capologist on the other other side of this she thinks and as bogus brought up yes the baby is more important than anything But also, her being an Ohio girl, I would assume she has family close by, Wouldn't it behoove her not to have her baby's father screw anything up that he's going to get fired and maybe have to take a GM job elsewhere and move out of Cleveland? Maybe you should have waited then to reveal the baby thing just to make sure his focus was on the draft because you understand that now if we want to make this work together, he's got to be here. So capologist, person in the organization, combining all these things, yeah, I think on the basis she does a good job, but there's a lot of harrowing problems I have with her.
3: So I read an article about this film, and and Kevin Costner wanted to do a film that had real teams in it. So it was the Browns, the Seahawks, Chiefs, etc. He did not want to do a film like Any Given Sunday or The Replacements or any of these where they're fake teams. That means that the NFL had to sign on, which means the NFL, I'm sure, had final say over a lot of stuff. Did you think there was anything that was potentially damaging to the NFL brand in this film?
1: Uh, Other than the fact that Roger Goodell thinks he's a good actor and basically everybody could be cozy cozy over all their free goodies Mm -hmm. inside that box. No, I don't think there was anything that necessarily was damaging other than teams not having to be afraid that they could be punchlines in this movie.
3: I thought the only thing that might have been a little uh, a little off-putting to the NFL might be the scene where the scouting department of the Browns is discussing a website documenting how many women Bo Callahan slept with in college. And they are going around, to, though, this is a big, interesting item, and they're all discussing how much they want to talk about all the, the hot chicks that he slept with. And I'm like, ooh, I... I don't know if the NFL would love that look that front offices are like ogling at college girls being bedded by star quarterbacks.
1: They probably didn't, I would imagine, especially with everything that, you know, encompasses. You know, we have to take care of the females here in this world. And I, I guess, but on the flip, I guess you just deal with people will understand it's a stupid movie joke. But in the end, we're getting a ton of pub for what the NFL draft is, you know? Yeah. Because I guess if you watch that movie, right, and you see Kevin Costner's in it, you see Jennifer Garner in it. Like, we're analyzing this from a football perspective, obviously. But I would would venture to guess with that kind of cast, Dennis Leary, they're hoping to get in the casual fan, right? You know, the casual, maybe I'm not going to watch the NFL draft, but maybe they do after. And I guess from an advertising standpoint, they hope to draw more people into watching the draft. So you kind of just trade a stupid movie joke for that?
3: Did you realize... That the draft held at Radio City Music Hall in 2014 was a draft we were at.
1: I did not. So where where they filmed that we were at the draft.
3: Yeah. There are those shots that are coming over the balcony looking at the fans and then kind of fan shots as well. We are down on the ground reporting for CBS Sports Radio that night.
1: See, wouldn't that have been nice if we had a nice movie cameo? Wouldn't that have been fun? Even you know, you just, like, hurt. out of
3: the corner of one of the shots.
1: Right, right. My, my dad has always said this. He was in Married to the Mob, and he always, you know. Really? Where he, yes, yeah. They, there's a supermarket scene in Married to the Mob where, I guess, uh, what is it, Michelle Pfeiffer is the one. She, they're walking, and, you know, the FBI is taking pictures of them or whatever, and a couple of the FBI people in the movie have to, you know, pretend they're working at the supermarket. My dad actually trained uh, one or two of the actors. I forgot he is. It's a big actor. It's on the autograph form. It might be. I forget who it was, but I had to train them how to slice deli meat so it looked real. Really? Yeah, yeah. And then my dad is in one of the corner of the shots, you know, kind of looking behind at the deli, working with, you know, the actors who are FBI people in the movie. He's in Married to the Bob, and that's always this big, you know, Oh, look, here I come. And anytime that movie was on when we were growing up, look, here I come. Here's my big shot. And it's, you know, basically a split second and a half of his mustache that you see. But it would have been cool to have that moment for us.
3: Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, we were there that night but we didn't make the the final cut of the movie. Today I had mentioned the story about Schwartz and this was oh, that he had tweeted out that the way that he proposed to his wife. Now this was to a response about how to make the best grilled cheese and he had to go into a response about how he proposed to his wife, which is the most Schwartz thing ever to to always bring it back to him like he couldn't just been like, well, you you know, put butter in the pan and then you use this type of cheese. And uh-huh. No, it had to be about him proposing. But he said that he made a grilled cheese on the Foreman Grill in 2003 for breakfast and then put her ring on top of it, put a napkin on top of that, and then served her the grilled cheese. And I have to admit that I I never go into the show thinking I'm going to talk Peter Schwartz ever. (laughs) I don't follow him on social media. Right. I don't know what he does. I I just it, it drives me up a wall. To know about all the free things that he gets from events and all the excuses that he has, and you know his son tearing into your, your aunt's Halloween decorations, and all this stuff just annoys me to no end. But as I've mentioned before, other people keep bringing to my attention the things that he tweets and does on Facebook. And today, I thought that story had to be told. I just thought that it had to be discussed. And I, I never go into a day saying we're going to do Schwartz in this segment. But it always seems to happen. And I don't uh-huh. know what that whole dynamic is about.
1: So the E-True Hollywood story on this is I saw this last night. I actually, for once, missed the Schwartz tweet. I did not see this original tweet, but I saw Moose tag us in this tweet. And then I saw Schwartz reply. And immediately I'm thinking to myself, I said, do we need this today? Now, this is a terrible story, but here's here's my bit. I don't, I don't like when Schwartz's radar is up on this. I would rather, you know, Moose kind of, you know, send this into the streetway screenshot. Oh, man, you wouldn't believe. It. But tagging Schwartz, getting Schwartz all involved, because then it gets me angry at Schwartz. Because then Schwartz, I don't know if you saw this, DA, came out with, oh, it must be a light news day if they're going to try to talk about me and grilled cheese. And then Moose replied back something like, have you not seen Mothership, the movies? They've been doing this, this, and this. And he goes, no, but I guess they had a good Joe Theismann interview, which we haven't even had Joe Theismann on lately. And it just was like Schwartz was being very passive-aggressive and nasty towards Moose kind of condescending about our show. Kind of like, oh, you know, here they go. They need me for content. And that annoyed me. So when I woke up and I saw that, I'm like, you know what? I don't even want to give Schwartz the benefit of the doubt with this grilled cheese story because now he's annoyed me.
3: So should we start not talking about Schwartz? Should we ban him? No.
1: No. We, we shouldn't ban him. Because he's too good at content. Like, in the, in the great scheme of things, right? The girl, cheese is too good at content. It's too good. But I think... I don't know. I, I just think our listeners... Getting Schwartz in a tizzy and having him say things that are only going to anger me or anger us and, and discredit the show is bothersome. Because Pete was a part of the show and enjoyed it. And, and I don't know what, what Pete's deal is. Maybe he just gets defensive over it. But I would rather... I would rather n- fight behind his back than in front of his face. I know how screwed up, that sounds, but there's a weird method to my mythology about that. He's given up on calling me out in general, but, hey, what did they say with the show? Ever since, you know, he had to block all the listeners, so I'm not even worried about that anymore. But it's just like the, you know, like, oh, you need me kind of attitude bothers me.
3: No, I realize that. I, I get that, and I, I respect it. I-, I would rather, I'm like you, I would rather, you know, belittle him or make fun of him to his face and, um, you know, we've tried to invite him on the show what? to 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 be part of things, and he's now declined. To
1: have fun with it, too, because we all would have fun with it if the shoe was on the other foot.
3: Yeah, and he just doesn't want to do that. Right, right. He just and doesn't want to
1: do that. And it should be noted, he was feeding his kids ice cream out of helmet cups last night and sending pictures of putting that on Twitter as well. So,
3: so, so there's that. Uh, one thing that we did not get to, <laughs> Wednesday's show was so stacked, and we'll— We'll talk about that as well. But Wednesday's show... Wait, what was... day is
1: it? Are you talking about the show we just taped?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. I'm losing track of days over here, man. We're doing a Sunday show. I don't know what day's what anymore.
3: When, the Wednesday show had the Gronk news. Great. And so okay. we had to talk about Gronk throughout the entire show. And... We had mothership of the movies, which ended up taking two and a half segments. We had the John Lynch news about talking about considering Tom Brady, which would have been a lead story on many other days. Right. We had the Chargers unveiling the new uniforms, which was the subject of the Champ of the Chump. We had this date mothership history and soundcheck, and you know, we just we we were just jammed, absolutely and stunned to a news. So we didn't even get to this. Last night was the semifinals of the Major League Eating Quarantine Challenge, the baked oh. beans part.
1: I I missed it. I forgot all about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, so incredibly, Gideon OG, the truth, ends up winning yet again. He was the one that was pitted against Badlands Booker. He crushed Badlands Booker. He won the second round as well easily, wins the third round baked beans uh easily as well. Joey Chestnut moved on. Ah. Uh. Yeah, so it's now Gideon OG versus Joey Chestnut in the ramen noodles eating contest. Joey and that's Chestnut tonight, Wednesday night. And that'll be tonight. Yes, right. we're we're taping this on Wednesday. So tomorrow we have a real decision to make. Do oh. we discuss the quarantine challenge of ramen on the day of the NFL draft where we should be focusing on the draft? We'll have Jeffrey Akuda, who is a potential top 10 draft pick. We'll have Saquon Barkley. We'll have Matt Miller, NFL draft analyst. Will we have time to work in the final of the quarantine challenge?
1: Well, I will ask you this. On a normal NFL draft day in the past, did we do anything on an NBA playoff game the night before?
3: I'm sure we had. I'm sure we did.
1: Well, isn't this the NBA playoffs?
3: I suppose.
1: So, I mean, I'm sure we could find... I mean, if we found four minutes on draft week to break down Schwartz and grilled cheese, I'm imagining we could find four <laughs> minutes to break down some sort of ramen noodle eating challenge.
3: That's a bad job at Major League Eating. They should have not. They should have not booked this stuff on draft week because there's just oh, too yes. much going on.
1: It's amazing how we go from there's nothing going on at all to the last dance, Major League Eating, and the NFL draft, and I can't keep up with it all. I know. I'm, I'm back to. I'm back to needing multiple TVs
3: here. I know. I know. So it, it leads me to my, my last point. Over these last five weeks, we've been without actual games. We're five weeks now into uh, no games since the NCAA tournament was canceled. I would say few and far between do we not have things to talk about. Now, the NFL has really helped us out a lot with the free agency and Tom Brady and now Gronk and the draft. That's really helped. But overall, I leave more good stories out now than I did when we had actual games. When I'm when I'm stacking the show the night before, I'm like, these are three topics I'd love to get to, but I just don't have time to get to them. There's so much to get to nowadays. I don't know how this is happening.
1: It doesn't make any sense. And I send the topic list. I go through topics the night before shows, and normally like I would if, if things are normal. And it is amazing to me that I haven't had basically a drop-off in the amount I pack in a topic list. There's always something. Now, maybe I'll include something that I... Otherwise, we're left out. But for the most part, there's always something. And and it's really shocking to me so much. So, D.A., we do the Sunday afternoon show. I wake up on Sunday mornings. The first thing I do before I even make breakfast, I go through top. All right, what are we going to talk about today? I send you a little email. That show ends at 4 p.m. Eastern. And generally speaking, by about 7 p.m. the night before a show, uh, I send the topic list for the next day. So the Sunday into Monday transition is like a day game, night game, double header. Yeah. I somehow, in the course of doing that topic list in the morning, doing the show Sunday afternoon, have basically a blank slate of new topics available at my yeah. fingertips within a three-hour period to get prepared for a Monday morning show. That, to me, is amazing.
3: We rarely rerun topics from Sunday afternoon into Monday morning.
1: Incredible to me. Incredible to me. We can only hope that continues. We can only hope. But so far, I I would say, from a sports world perspective, while we all are missing games, as far as debate topics worth discussing, there have still been plenty.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, we're helped out Stunned to a news and this in Mothership history. Mothership at the the movies. Well, we had the Madness of March series. I mean, we've created enough content that wouldn't normally be there for other shows. But by and large, there is so much to get to every day that it is incredible. And in a day and age where there's no other shows are just dying on the vine. Oh, my God. What do we talk about today? We are jammed. So, yeah, hopefully this continues. So you got uh, Bogues coming up on Side B. You guys got to break down how bad the Jaguars front office is from a draft day? I do have to ask
1: Bogues an important question of all the general managers who deserve to be fired the most. We'll discuss that next (laughs) on Side B.
3: Side B is next.
1: All right, welcome in the Side B of the PGP. This is Mraz hosting Side B here, executive producer of the DA Show. Joined by the bogeyman. Here we are, quarantine Side B edition. Andrew, hello.
2: I'm glad your voice is back to normal. I got scared Wednesday morning when it <laughs> cracked in an odd way.
1: So, you know, the, the real deal here is... My voice changes, I guess, a lot and it, whenever I try to get up in octaves or, or whatever. And sometimes I get that real squirrely, uh, high-pitched voice that, you know, I've been talked to by bosses. But I, I think the difference is when I'm waking up to do these shows from home, I'm getting, I'm waking up approximately an hour and 45 minutes later than normal. So I already have that going against me. I have less time that I'm waking up for ahead of time. Number two, I try to get a little green tea down me before I'm ready to speak. I had that a little later on Wednesday, and I think I was just, I was all backed up. I backed up in my voice, and it ended up coming out frog style.
2: Well, not to sound like a bougie radio whatever, but I have noticed that um, I guess just on a normal day getting up, driving, going into the going on a train, talking to Bilotti on the train, talking to the newsroom before the show. It's warm up. Like like that's the warm up from my voice. Now like the first time I'm talking is the first time I'm on the radio at like six twenty. Right. And the voice can be kind of crappy at times. So they're definitely there is something to having to like wake your, your voice up, I guess.
1: Uh, and for sure, and, and especially when you come out the gates out of a show, you know, you want to be fired up, you want to be passionate, you want to have a real opinion, you want to be formed on everything. And I'm excited to talk to DA right out of the open there, like I am every day. But it's very rare on a normal day where we're in studio and none of this is going on that DA actually angers me right. with the take he has. For him to actually anger me that I need to get agitated and I am bothered and then you are throwing all that list of my voice just isn't ready, I come out signing, uh, sounding like Rolf there.
2: Yeah, but it worked. It was good. It gave us a segment it and some did. more drops. Everybody wins.
1: It did. It gave us a fail. Now we did. I can't believe it's the fifth movie in mothership of the movies, which is just. I mean, these weeks are they're all meshing as one. I mean, somehow he got game was three weeks ago. It doesn't even make any sense. But I did want to pick your brain because draft days, as we do a little more in depth here. I guess three segments weren't enough. I did want to ask you of the three general managers highlighted, who. If you were the owner of any one of these teams, what do you think should have been fired most? Is it Tom Michaels, the Seahawks GM, who gets three ones only to cough him back up instead of just picking up the phone and calling the Jaguars himself to try to get back for Bo Callahan? Is it Sonny Weaver, who's all over the map, ends up with a punt returner, still trades three twos, ends up taking a running back in the first round anyway? Or is it this poor sap in Jacksonville, we still don't know his name, who has the sixth overall pick, could take Bo Allen but instead does a safe thing and doesn't even get another number one for it, gets three twos. Who would be fired immediately if you were one of these owners?
2: I mean, first of all, none of them are Belichick slash Casario. I mean, they, none, they're, they're all different variations of trash, I guess. But the guy in Jacksonville, I mean, I, I'm so hung up on the fact that, <laughs> that no one knew his name. I mean, how it's, how it, I'm assuming the guy was like somebody's assistant GM right. before becoming – head of the Jaguars. Worked his way up. Yeah, I mean, the fact that no one knew who he was seems to be a really big red flag for Jaguar management. Um, And obviously they fixed this error by eventually bringing in Tom Coughlin, which then didn't end well, but I think they went in a different direction. Everyone knew who Tom Coughlin was after coming off this guy, who no one can remember his name, I think, just by that sheer fact. Plus you throw in the fact that he was in a complete panic On the clock, what do I do? Why are you picking Bo Callahan? Tell me this, tell me that. And then does get hoodwinked by Sonny Weaver Jr. Um, To me, he's the first one that's got to go.
1: Okay, so I would think that normally, but I think because he's so new and he at least... I guess you want to call it safe, didn't whiff on a first-round pick and got three potential starters in the second. As bad a trade as it is, somehow I think he survives. To me, I think it's Tom Michaels with the Seahawks in this movie because he not only does he make a trade to get three firsts, which is like an unbelievable haul, he has the entire city and fan base calling for his head from the parking lot, then uses that as a panic, he ends up giving back all those three firsts while still not owning that first overall pick to get the sixth pick and has to kick back a punt returner. I think you wake up the next day in Seattle going, wait a minute, okay, we ended up with Bo Calum, but why did we go through all this? Now we ended up, for no reason, losing a punt returner, and it was all to save, what, seven million cap space for sliding? Yeah. No sense. To me, he's got to go.
2: I don't like like the mental midgetry of getting spooked by angry Seahawks fans outside your window and then just going completely off the rails. Um, But, you know, and and then getting put in a place where – you have to give back those number one picks to get the guy you actually want. And I guess there is some benefit to getting them then than at number one price tag wise. But again, like no, none of these guys are great and almost by accident, Sonny Weaver Jr. looks like Bill Belichick in the end here. Um, maybe by accident again, but yeah, I, I, I can see your point. I don't think any one of them should keep working, I guess, <laughs> um, but the, I still, and I even like to into a reality sphere. Like I'm assuming there was a discussion with the people between making the movie and, like, NFL consultants on this. Like, who can we make fun of in the league? Like, someone decided it was okay that no one knew who the Jaguars' GM was, which is an amazing decision to me. And I can't get past that. So, again, I'm going to stick with him, but Michaels doesn't keep his job either in
1: Seattle. Uh, It's just a disaster. Now, there's two more things before I let you go I wanted to get to with the movie itself. Okay, number one. I don't know if this is a knock on the Browns organization or a knock on the movie itself, if we go movie part. But did anybody think over the course of watching this movie, was I the only sicko that thought about this in my head? How many hours is an intern legally allowed to work? Because <laughs> it's this intern, basically on his first day in Cleveland, who has his laptop smashed, broke, who sees everything going on. Boy, that kid can write a book after one day. Is basically there first thing in the morning all the way through midnight. I mean, how is that legal?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. And I'll tell you what, like that was a really good character. That guy was funny, and I don't think he's ever done anything since draft day.
1: Right. <laughs> so, like, you could have longer... told me that. But you could have told me that was Justin Timberlake, and I would have believed you.
2: By right. It. Exactly. He was. That was. That guy was funny. Was a good character, and he was there for a long time. And he did have a heck of a day, even when saw like you know the emotional scene where his laptop is destroyed. He doesn't know what to do. How is he going to play Minecraft later? Right. I mean, the guy went from you know hey. he's heartbroken. He's telling jokes. He's walking into awkward scenes in that, in that weird, like, um, storage closet. He, he had a very impactful – if he didn't go back the next day, I would completely understand why he didn't. Well,
1: and also, Kevin Costner goes, we'll get you a new laptop, you know, all the bells and whistles. How about you give the kid a job? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know? a Paycheck. Right. How about, <laughs> yes. how, about, how about you give this poor kid a job, not just a laptop with, quote, all the bells and whistles. Now, yeah. last, thing, last thing I wanted to get to with this with this movie, how is it possible? That an elderly grandmother is so capable on Twitter to read Breaking News, but Nick Saban can't.
2: Yeah, I don't know. That, that's a heck of a character, that lady. I mean, she really, she's terrible, terrible, spiteful, mean, everything. And then at the end, she's crying. We're having a baby. Good night, Allie. Everything is all well and good. But, yeah, she's, she's at least plugged in. She's tech savvy. and Maybe she's got her own intern that teaches her how to use those things. And doesn't doesn't put her nose up at things like that like Nick Saban does.
1: Ridiculous. And I'll give you a one B final one here too as well, bogish. Seattle. They wake up four fifteen A. M. Tom Stevens looking to make a deal. By four thirty in the morning he's essentially eating pancakes. Yeah, which Tom looked like. really
2: good by the way, too. Look
1: looked excellent. Enjoy your pancakes, Tom. Four thirty AM. Is that too early for pancakes?
2: No, not when you've been sleeping on your office couch and, you know, you're waking up It's draft day, you've got to get the, the carbs in, the energy in. I'm, I think you can go pancakes as soon as you wake up. I'm a big breakfast guy. I wake up hungry. I have no issues with that.
1: Wow, see, I think that would be that would be sticky and not have me thinking straight.
2: Oh, that's going to do it. Hey, i got to sure. say one thing, though. Yeah. Every, everything on the air that we just discussed, there's a million reasons not to like this movie, but somehow I liked it and I had yes. so little expectations going in, I mean, I wouldn't watch it again. But I thought I was going to be bothered by it. I wasn't bothered by it. And it made me actually wish that we had a draft where you where there was drama about the number one pick. I mean, imagine right. the tizzy we would be in the next morning. If, it, like, Friday morning, just imagine the Bengals say Chase Young's name instead of Joe Burrow. or all oh. of this. It would be mayhem. And we're right. never going to get that.
1: No, you're right. I, I agree with you. The mo- It's one of those classic. The movie is so terrible for so many reasons. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it, so it makes it makes no sense. And it should be noted that uh, Bogus and Da were arguing pre-show about whether the movie was good or not. And Da quote called out Bogus' taste in movies. Your taste is trash. Yeah, so no, I, a, I
2: saved that one just for future reference. Yeah,
1: that's a storyline that will continue to develop. <laughs> uh, you can follow Andrew Bogus on Twitter at Andrew Bogus. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MarazCBS. Keep everybody's heads up. Have a great week, everyone.